Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is previewing the first round of the 2022 NBA playoffs. So we're going to go through each of the eight matchups in the first round, and we're going to talk about some storylines, some X factors, and things to watch in each of these matchups. But we could not do this episode alone. Please welcome back to the podcast from Hot Takes on Hoops, Jackson Chin. Hey, how you guys doing? Um, good to be back on, and I'm excited. It's finally playoff time in the NBA, so let's get it. Let's get into it indeed. Jalen, eight great matchups. Let's talk about them. Yeah, man. So we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping. Based on when we're recording this episode, it is uh, April 13th. So this will be before the play-in tournament is actually concluded. So from a housekeeping standpoint, we're going to kind of make premeditated picks based off what we've seen, our favorites for certain teams and stuff like that, and kind of choose who we think are going to fill these uh, these eight seeds. The seven seeds were filled the other day with Minnesota beating the Clippers and the Brooklyn uh, Nets beating the Cleveland Cavaliers. Leftover is obviously the Clippers are left over to be able to fight for the eighth seed. New Orleans and San Antonio plays tonight. And then in the East, Atlanta plays Charlotte with the Cleveland Cavaliers waiting for the winner of that in order to play for the eighth seed. Um, our predictions are not going to be super indicative of our analysis on those one through eight matchups. We're probably going to focus on the teams that the, on the two one seeds, Phoenix and Miami. But nonetheless, just for housekeeping purposes, we are going to make our picks on here. So, Jackson, I'm actually going to start with you. Of the three teams vying for the eighth seed in the Western Conference, which is the side of the bracket that we're going to start with, what team do you even think is going to lock up this eighth seed and be facing and facing Phoenix in the first round? Yeah, I got the Clippers um, winning against either the Pelicans or the Spurs. In the Spurs-Pelicans matchup, I think that's going to be a close game, but I think the Pelicans are going to win um, for what it's worth. But I think the Clippers have just the way that they have gone about this season without Paul George. Paul George has only played 31 games this season um, in the regular season. And I just like the way that Tyron Liu has put together his rotations. They've built a lot of depth throughout the year. And I think that Norman Powell is going to be a big X, X factor for them throughout um, however long their playoff run is. Now they are going to, if even if they get through, they're going to face the buzzsaw that is Phoenix. So, We'll see, but I really like um, what they're doing right now with their roster, even without Kawhi. I think Norman Powell is a good one-two punch to add to Paul George, so I think they have too much firepower offensively and defensively. And Ryan, how about you, man? Do you agree with the Clippers taking up that eight seed, or do you have somebody else out of New Orleans and San Antonio surprising us? Yeah, I have to agree with the Clippers. I think that this team is really talented, and I think as an eight seed, I think they're underseeded with the amount of talent that they have. Jackson uh, touched on the depth, and you know we talked about Norman Powell, Robert Covington. I thought was another great player with that trade with Portland. Um, uh, man, as well, great player. Amir Coffey, who uh, he dropped thirty five points recently against the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I think he could be another key player in this next playing game, and even in the Phoenix Suns series, if the Clippers were to move on. But, yeah, I think the Clippers have a lot of talent this year, and I think they defeat either the Spurs or the Pelicans. So I'm going to play devil at, devil's advocate just out of the mere fact that I do think that just because you expect certain things to happen, 
in this kind of one game or go home scenario kind of format, I think that anything could happen. I am factoring that in. Um, on a typical day, I would agree with you guys with the Clippers. I'm actually going to take New Orleans just for like the surprise factor of it all. I definitely think they're going to beat San Antonio tonight. They've been playing some of their better basketball with CJ McCollum around, Brandon Ingram playing as well. I think that the biggest thing is going to be intriguing because honestly, I think that the Clippers overall just the better team and probably have a better chance at even being a real threat to Phoenix. But again, in a one game or go home scenario, it's going to be interesting to see how those two teams face off. Just for the sake of being different, I'll take New Orleans, but I could see the Clippers doing uh, doing damage. And if they do take on Phoenix, which is where we'll start, it'll be kind of interesting to see this new matchup playoff-wise because the last two seasons, it has always been Clippers versus Dallas, and we've kind of come to this understanding that, like, the Clippers from a personnel standpoint are just built properly to be able to combat the way that Dallas was playing basketball and kind of even now with the way their personnel is set up, still kind of built to be able to play them. But I don't think they're built nearly as well to go blow for blow with Phoenix. I think they both have their own interesting strengths and weaknesses that will probably show in these series, but I don't think they're as favored from a personnel standpoint as they have been in the last two playoff series against Dallas. So Jackson, I'll start with you in terms of Phoenix. And if you want to focus on them specifically playing against the Clippers, that's fine. But talking about the uh, Phoenix Suns in general, what is like a storyline that you're keeping an eye out on in this first round matchup with them, Starting out as, I mean, arguably one of the hottest teams in basketball going into the postseason. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the Suns team is very underrated, especially from a historical standpoint. I think people are underrating them um, just because they don't have that top 10 um, superstar level player. Devin Booker is um, getting there. He's a fringe superstar at this point, I'd say, but they don't have that player. So I feel like people are just automatically underrating them. And I think a lot of it is if you look at their um, finals run last year compared to the team this year and how they performed, I think a lot of it has to do with Devin Booker growing into his role, but also just the bolstered depth um, that they gave themselves in the offseason. I think they had a very underrated offseason from that standpoint. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what role JaVale McGee, what role Landry Shamit, um, Cam Johnson is very improved from last year. Um, and if it wasn't for Tyler Hero, he would be in the running for sixth man of the year, I think. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what those guys can do um, in the playoffs. We saw Cam Johnson step up at some points. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what those guys can do. Obviously, we saw um, Aiton step up in the playoffs last year in a big way. So I think they have a lot of pieces. And even with their regular season success, I think what makes them scary is that we know that those players – um, that some of the players on their roster have not reached their potential in terms of how they can play. Um, so I I think that that is um, a very scary thing um, for the rest of the NBA. Ryan, how about you? Something separate from like the underrated aspect, because that's what uh, Jackson focused on the most, was the idea of coming out of the regular season, it seems like people are still sleeping on Phoenix. Is there any other storyline that pokes out to you in terms of, Phoenix entering this series and again if you want to focus on their matchup specifically with the LA Clippers of course you can um it's up to you and how you want to tackle that but what is the storyline that you're keeping your eye out on in terms of this series opening up the uh the postseason I think the one thing I'm interested in watching out for is this front court depth with Phoenix I think the one thing that they didn't have last year was somebody that could play 
uh, solid minutes behind DeAndre Ayton. And you saw in the finals, um, the Phoenix Suns didn't have a reliable interior defender to guard Giannis or Brooke Lopez. So I think the other thing that I'm interested in, in watching for the playoffs is how JaVale McGee will ascend and be that interior defender to guard um, you know, the starting center or the, the, uh, the second unit center for the opposing team, whether it's the Clippers or some other team. So I'm just interested to see how the Suns will hold their own in the paint against some of these other um, big men in the NBA. I think that's a really good point because the the loss of Dario Sarge was one of those that seemed like it was going to be a very like under the radar loss. And it seemed like one of those things that maybe wasn't going to be super impactful, but it ended up really showing its hand in the finals. I want to piggyback on something that both of you guys brought up, specifically focusing on like DeAndre Ayton's play, right? This is a guy that's going into the summer as a restricted free agent this summer. And he's eligible for a pretty hefty max extension as a guy who's obviously going to be at the front of the list for Phoenix in terms of guys they need to focus on this offseason. The way he plays during this playoff stretch, I don't think should have a significant impact on whether or not they choose to pay him. Honestly, I thought this past offseason, the rookie extension should have been offered, or at least I think that should have been something that was a little bit more um, on the table. It seemed as though that was something that became a very quiet storyline quickly in terms of their conversations between the front offices his and his camp kind of dying down early. I think his play is not only pivotal to how far they can go in terms of being potential NBA champions, but I think for his own individual success, both from a capital standpoint and, you know, from how he's considered uh, or where he's considered in the ranking amongst most of the centers in the NBA, I think getting another really strong run, like Jackson mentioned earlier, how he played really well last season, another strong run would really put him in a good light in terms of his his ranking hierarchy-wise amongst some of the best bigs in the league. Jackson, I want to come to you about one other thing before we move away from uh, from Phoenix is, like, let's talk about the play of Chris Paul and his impact on any given series, right? This is one of those years where it feels as though, from the West perspective, this is probably Chris Paul's... This is a top three chance for him, I would say, throughout his playoff tenure in terms of his pathway to the finals, but also potentially becoming champion. What are your thoughts on Chris Paul's season? Um, and what you what do you, what do you think is going to be his overall impact on this stretch as they make a run for the finals again? Yeah, I mean, I think Chris Paul is at the point of his career, and we kind of saw this last year, where he's kind of coasting through the regular season. Um, you expect his playoff production to increase like it did last year. And I think that's a scary thing. And I touched on players not um, performing to their max potential in the regular season that could perform better. And he, I mean, he's he's pretty much the guy that I was alluding to. I mean, I think that we, we're going to see him step up in a big way like he did last year. And I think that this is his... Now, they got to the finals last year, but I think this is his best chance to win, depending on who comes out of the East, because I do not view the West this year nearly as strong as it was last year. And I think that that's a big thing. I think the fact that um, the Suns as a whole are an improved team, I think this is his best chance to win a finals. Not saying that it's going to necessarily be a disappointment if they don't end up winning it, um, Mm -hmm. because I think that the Suns and the Bucks right now, at least for me personally, are pretty much neck and neck in terms of um, who I favorite um, or favor and um, eventually coming out and winning the whole thing. But 
Um, I think that this is definitely his best chance, and um, I think he's going to try his best to capitalize on it. And so, again, for listeners, because we do not have the setup all the way for the playoff bracket, the the X factors, the individual matchups, uh, that stuff we're not going to focus on too much on this one just because that could frequently change. San Antonio might shock all of us and win tonight, and that'll put things in a different perspective where – Maybe it's going to be San Antonio versus L.A., and then we have to ask ourselves which one of those teams. So because there's so many uh, interchangeable factors, we're not going to focus too, too much on this series. But for the sake of asking the panel, regardless of what team they catch as the eighth seed, are we all confident that the Phoenix Suns will probably end up getting out of the first round? Would you all would you guys agree that you probably select them to move uh, beyond the first round? Jackson, I'll start with you. Whether it's L.A. or the other teams, in your case, you pick L.A. Do you, do you see them winning in a seven-game series against uh, the Clippers? Yes, I have them winning against um, the Clippers. I think the Clippers would give them the best fight. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we saw them without Kawhi. We saw the Clippers go up against the Suns last year. So mm-hmm. I think that um, the Suns would win um, in a five- or six-game series, probably closer to five games, but Ryan, how about you, man? Same thing? Yeah, I'm going to say the Clippers, or sorry, the uh, Suns win this series. I think that it's six-game series seems pretty fair. I think the Clippers will win two games. I'd expect Paul George to have a couple of great playoff games. But ultimately, I think the Suns have come back reloaded this year, and I think that they're a stronger team than they were last year. Yeah, definitely have to agree with that. One of the guys that definitely is worth keeping an eye out on is the play of Cam Johnson, too. He's a guy who I was taking a look at some of the polls. is actually getting some significant like buzz for the Sixth Man of the Year award. Granted, Tyler Hero is running away with it from the voting perspective, but the fact that Cam Johnson is even in consideration, this is a guy who a lot of people, including me and Ryan at the time of when he was selected on draft night, thought he was taken significantly high, and here he is a couple of seasons later having a significant imprint on a team that – it's pretty deep, pretty deep um, at all the positions, but especially at wing where they have Mikael Bridges and others occupying space there as well. So we're going to move on to the next series, which is Memphis versus Minnesota. This was kind of a confirmed series that took place after last night's play-in games. And this is also going to be our first full-fledged series that we take a dive into. So, Ryan, I'm actually going to start with you this time. What is the top storyline that you're keeping an eye out on in this series between these two teams? So the one thing that I'm keeping my eye out on for this series, I think is the moment too big for Anthony Edwards. And the one reason why I say that is because we saw the 30 point game from last night and he's really showing out. And I think that he's stepping up to the moment. The one thing that I'm interested in seeing is if he can continue this, because also last night, Carl Anthony Towns ended up fouling out of the game. He had 11 points on three of 11 shooting. And this game against the Clippers was a lot closer than I thought it would be given the talent that the starting five for Minnesota has right now. Um, Statistically, they're actually one of the best starting fives in the NBA. And I'm not, and I think I'm convinced that they will give the Memphis Grizzlies a fight in this series. Honestly, I think this is a series that can go to seven games. And I think Anthony Edwards could be a huge reason why this series goes to seven games. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I think Anthony Edwards' play is going to be huge in terms of them being competitive, but also being on the stage, right? We saw John Morant make his NBA playoffs debut last season and burst onto the scene significantly. Prior to that, we've seen the battle between Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell take over the NBA playoffs in a way that, honestly, in that series, 
that series was probably pretty underrated um, going into the playoffs before all of the exponential performances took place. So I think this is going to be a really good chance for him to show out. And obviously, we're talking about a former number one overall pick. And in comparison to LaMelo Ball, somebody that he gets a lot of drawn attention to um, because of them being in the same draft class, his performances in the playoffs are going to be really significant, especially if Charlotte doesn't make the postseason. I think that's going to actually only further amplify the stage for a guy like Anthony Edwards as like one of the sole guys from that from that draft class making real headlines as a as a key uh focal point of a team in the postseason um jackson how about you between these two teams what is a a big storyline that you're keeping your eye out on in this series yeah i think that the biggest storyline is is memphis ready it's a really general topic but i think that they came on the scene really strong um the two seed in the western conference which is a really impressive feat for such a young team for a team that doesn't have a defined second creator a defined second star and ended up being one of the best teams in NBA history without their star player it's a very interesting team and I think that you know we don't we're not going to know um what kind of team they actually are until they step on that court against a team like the Timberwolves who I think is a very tough team I think that the Timberwolves is a very strong seventh seed. As much as I want to say the West is not as strong as it usually is, it's still as deep as it's ever been. Um, mm-hmm. The top, It might not be top-heavy like it usually is, but it is way deeper than it has been in the past. And I think that the Timberwolves, having those three offensive creators, um, mm-hmm. having that superstar in Carl Anthony Towns and then two um, – secondary creators who are also borderline stars in Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell. I think it's very, it's a very interesting matchup. And I think we're just going to have to see is, is the youth going to get the best of um, Memphis? And even with that being said, the Timberwolves are also a very young team. So I think it's a very interesting matchup from that standpoint. Yeah. So I actually want to ask you a follow-up question about that real quick, just because I think that where you ended is like really influential on where you would like where you would go in this series in terms of who you would pick because I mean I would argue from a quote-unquote who is ready standpoint that I actually would be more worried about Minnesota they're the team that just kind of like almost threw uh you know an NBA championship parade last night after just being able to make the playoffs which goes to show you their lack of experience in the postseason as opposed to Memphis who granted did not get get far didn't advance in the playoffs but definitely showed significant strides last season so is there anything particular about Memphis that stands out to you beyond just like the youth that makes you nervous about them or is it really just the fact that they are still kind of a little wet behind the ears in terms of being in this postseason space I think it's mostly the expectations. I think you could ask the question both ways with teams, but the fact that one team is a second seed and one team is a seventh seed um, influences this conversation. Because even though I view this matchup as very um, even across the board, if the Grizzlies lose, end up losing the series, it's going to be looked at as a disappointment. Whereas if the Timberwolves lose this series, it'll just be like um, a growing experience. They won the play-in. Um, and they got, they were able to stay healthy throughout the regular season and actually get to that point. Um, and they'll be looking to grow from that in the off season. Whereas if the Grizzlies lose, um, they'll be left with more questions than answers. Yeah. I think the expectations point is like a really 
influential one. And Ryan, I'm going to pass it to you before I give my uh, my top storyline, because I want to ask you a very similar question from Minnesota's perspective. Coming in as the team with very little expectation, but still being a team that kind of has a lot on their plate, right? This is a team that kind of passed up on the idea of trading, trading for Ben Simmons, something that me and you had a conversation about. Minnesota being a team that, Ryan, if you remember in the beginning of the season, one of our things that we entered the season on was watch out for Minnesota. We both were actually on agreement on this entering the year that this was a team that we actually were oddly a little bit more optimistic about this season and so far so good I would say I would I mean obviously they haven't blown the doors down in the way that like for example Memphis did making such an exponential leap but this is still a team that went from being not really in the playoff conversation to now being occupying the seventh seed in the Western Conference so like what are your thoughts on them as the team with little expectation kind of playing with house money I think a team with little expectation could make the most noise. And mm-hmm. I think when you look at this matchup, this is a series, like I said, that can go to seven games, but this is a series that I think can heavily favor Minnesota, especially when you look at the fact that they're starting five. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, one of the top starting fives in the league. Um, this is a team that can pretty much outscore any team in the league with the amount of points that they score on a daily basis. But I think what makes them so interesting is that beyond their starting five, I think players like Malik Beasley and Nasri can give them the edge. Malik Beasley is one of the best shooters in the league, especially when he's shooting from the wing. You look at Nasri, I think he's a solid backup center. I think that he could definitely give um, Memphis fits down low. So I think they're they're good in a multitude of ways. They also have Carl Anthony Towns, who, like I like I mentioned earlier. He struggled last night shooting 3 of 11, but this season he's been shooting the ball very well from 3 this season. And there are conversations that he's arguably one of the best uh, big man shooters in terms of shooting the 3 in league history with how well he's been able to shoot the 3 this year. So I think this is a team in Minnesota that can hurt you in a lot of different ways, which is why I think they're a very underrated team in the playoffs as a team with little to no that that came into the season with little to no expectations yeah i think that's a great point and so something i want to piggyback on from both of you guys as well in terms of where my top storyline goes is you guys both touched on the ideal of expectations whether it was too much too little the idea of the bright of the bright lights being on and who can step up within that framework. I think the one guy that we haven't focused on too, too much is Carl Anthony Towns himself. Ryan, you've read out the statistics for the way that game went, but let's talk about even not just the result, but how that game started. Two points, 0 of 7 from the, fo- from the floor, 0 of 2 from three-point land, four fouls. That was by halftime. So this is a guy that when things really were at the forefront, this was a guy who, again, you mentioned just a second ago, is in the argument as one of the best big man shooters of all time. Well, we really, as a guy who's going to be in that ilk, right, even even furthermore, right, as a guy who wants to be in that conversation as part of the uh, part of the three all-NBA teams for those three center spots, it's going to take, I think, a real, a real strong postseason performance to really solidify himself as a guy who has an argument for one of those three spots on a on a season to season basis. Now, I don't think one postseason run, even if they even if they win in the first round, will truly define how good or how bad, depending on how you view that series and when it's over, that Carl Anthony Towns is. But I do think 
that when like when the lights are brightest, we need to see more from him. We've seen Minnesota play with such little expectation for season upon season. And of course, I would say, just like you guys said before, this postseason hasn't changed very much, but I don't think they're going to elevate any further beyond that if Carl Anthony Towns doesn't follow suit and starts to kind of play above expectation as well. I think throughout the season, there's plenty of regular season players, right? But when we talk about this postseason environment, it's a completely different space. So I think that's a good way to transition into talking about X factors. Jax, I'm going to head over to you. Um, you can choose which team you'd like to focus on the X factor for, or if you have an X factor for e- uh, each team, of course, you can share those as well. But what is an X factor in this series that you're paying attention to that you think could be really influential on the outcome of the series? Yeah. So, I mean, I was talking about the Grizzlies and how they don't have a defined second creator. And I think mm-hmm. it's really just been um, – playmaker by committee, scorer by committee, if you want to say. And I think that the X factor in the series is definitely going to be Jared Vanderbilt. Um, Mm. He is a guy that has grinded his way, played his way um, into the rotation and has now garnered a significant role. He's played significant minutes on this playoff team. And I think that he, he has the potential in the future to be a defensive player of the year candidate with the way that he just his switchability, his versatility, um, the way that he can guard one-on-one and provide help. Um, he's really a jack-of-all-trades, and I think that depending on where he's, um, who's he de- who he is defending at um, certain times in the game, because um, he's really a Swiss Army knife. He can guard multiple positions, and just where he is positioned on the floor um, defensively, um, I think it's going to be very interesting. I think um, Towns has taken um, – great strides defensively this year as well. I think that um, Vanderbilt and Towns have um, really bolstered this Timberwolves team um, defensively, but I think Vanderbilt in um, in particular, just because of his versatility, I think is going to be vital to this series. And I'm really glad you brought him up because he was definitely somebody that I was going to focus on out of the fact that this season he has really carved a role out for himself as a defensive stopper for their team. Granted, I wouldn't say he's a great like one-on-one like on ball defender, but he's a guy from a team defense standpoint has been able to really help this Minnesota team play above expectation on the defensive end. That's probably been one of the most underrated storylines this season, uh, regardless of team, is just how solid Minnesota has been from a defensive standpoint. And Jared B- Vanderbilt in particular started 67 games. That's already over double how much he started in the past three seasons prior and played in 74 games this season. Again, career high for him as well averaging 8.4 rebounds I think that is something that's important is his strong defensive rebounding but he's also a really strong offensive rebounder at almost three offensive boards per game I think just his overall presence on both sides of the floor he has a ton of length he's a guy that I think can switch around and play the one through three help guard fours he's going to be really important for like such a wing dominated team like Memphis that's going to throw a lot of different looks at, at um Minnesota from a perimeter standpoint. So I think that's a great name to throw out as a guy that can be like a bit of an unsung hero for Minnesota if they are able to make some real noise in this series. Ryan, how about you? Who who is a player or what is a a stat or something that factors in as a X factor for you that you think could be uh, really defining um, in terms of who will be able to win this series? I think an X factor could be Jaron Jackson Jr. He only played 11 games last year, and he wasn't even around for the playoff series against Utah. 
And I think it's interesting what he brings to the table as a strong interior defender, a strong shot blocker. And he's just been developing and progressing throughout his entire career, even though injuries have pretty much limited his time on the court. This is the first season where we've truly seen how good Jaron Jackson Jr. can be. And I'm interested to see what sort of impact he'll have in the playoffs. Yeah, I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is such a good guy to point out because of the fact that he's a dude who we haven't really seen the peak of his powers yet, I feel like, even now. This is like one of those seasons where I think a lot of Memphis fans are just happy that he was able to kind of scoot through the season relatively healthy for most of the year. Uh, I just want to get your further thoughts on that. And if you have any stats on Jaron for this year, of course, go ahead and throw those out there too. But like, what are some things that you're like even looking from from Jackson in this series? Is this one of those where you kind of are focused more on his defense or Carl Anthony Towns? Or are you in the framework that like next to a guy like John Moran, we need Jaron Jackson to be that next bucket? Like in a series like this, who what, what, what version of Jackson do you think is going to be more um, – more impactful on this series? I wouldn't say next bucket because I think Desmond Bain's going to be that guy. He's had a phenomenal season as well. But I think what they're going to need from Jackson is his ability to be a defensive stopper against Carl Anthony Towns. And I think it's just more of a strategic coaching decision about how they're going to implement, of, of how they're going to use Jackson in this defense. But with how the Clippers were able to get Carl Anthony Towns into foul trouble so quickly. I think that's something that Taylor Jenkins has to think about. It has to be in the back of his mind. And I think the defensive strategy for Jaron Jackson Jr. I think is going to be something that will um, impact this game and impact this matchup against Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too, is because, I mean, between Jaron and Steven Adams, those two are going to be the ones that get the most primary looks on a guy like Carl Anthony Towns. I think I trust Jaron a little bit more to be able to step out on Carl if he's beyond the arc, too. So he could be a primary defender for him. In terms of my X factor, it might be a silly one to mention, but I think it's for me, it's the impact of Patrick Beverly from a mentality standpoint, right? The last time that Minnesota was a real factor in terms of the playoffs, they had Jimmy Butler, right? The winner go home scenario against the Denver Nuggets ended up going in their favor. And I think that they just need like a real dog mentality going into a series like this, only because I think that just like, just like Patrick, Memphis can get physical with them as well. Memphis has a lot of trash talkers. Memphis has a lot of guys who are extremely confident. And I think that I think that Minnesota has guys with similar ilk. I think Anthony Edwards can walk the walk and talk the talk at the same time. I think when Carl Anthony Towns is on one, he has the capability of being that guy. But I think walking into a series like that, they have to be able to poke their chest out just as much as Memphis to really be a factor. Because once Memphis gets going, they're a really hard time to stop regardless of youth. But I think I think Minnesota has the capability to match that energy. They just have to come out with it in order to really put that on the floor. If they don't, I think, I think Memphis will blitz them and this series will be over really quickly. Uh, Jackson, I want to go over to you and kind of talk about – I kind of alluded to it a little bit when I was asking Ryan about the whole Jaron Jackson versus Carl thing. But, like, is there any individual matchups that stand out in this series that you think will be really influential if it's the if it's the matchup between the stars that's fine but even if there's some 
role player matchups that might end up being really important in this series? What's something that stands out? Yeah, I mean, I think Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, and Carl Anthony Towns, I think that matchup is going to be very interesting to see um, when they are guarding each other. Um, because another thing that I want to mention um, sort of from a matchup standpoint as well is the Grizzlies have um, pretty good depth at the big position. Obviously, they have Jaron Jackson Jr., but they have Steven Adams and Xavier Tillman, um, latter of which who has Xavier's played very well, especially as of late, um, as a backup big. And I think it's going to be interesting how they um, divvy up those minutes um, between Steven Adams and Xavier Tillman and um, who who they're guarding um, at certain points. I think Tillman um, is better from the standpoint of just mobility on the perimeter, and I think that could fare well against a big like Towns. Um, and then obviously you have Jaron Jackson, who um, is the – king of versatility um, as a big probably in today's NBA. So Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be very interesting just to see how they divvy up those minutes and how they attack Towns um, defensively. And this is going to be a tough series. Um, I think it's going to be close series, um, but it's going to be a tough series for Carl Anthony Towns um, just from an offensive standpoint um, because the Grizzlies have a lot of bodies that they can throw at um, him. Yeah, I think that that's going to be really interesting just to see what kind of matchups they even try to initiate. Ryan, did you want to further elaborate on the Jaron Jackson, Carl Anthony Town stuff, or is there another individual matchup that stands out to you that's worth keeping an eye on on um, eye out on in this series? I think this will be an interesting one, but I want to say John Morant and Patrick Beverly because the um, the amount of trash talking that I think will go down between those two will be, I think a a very interesting thing in this matchup. But I think Patrick Beverly has that ability to get under your skin. And I think that he could have an impact on John Morant's performance in a couple of these games because he can, he can really like poke and prod at the opposing, at the opposing uh, team that I think it could throw them off. And especially with how good John Moran has been this entire season, it could throw him off, but I don't know how much though. So like, I think it could, this could go one of two ways. John Morant can play at the MVP caliber level that we've been seeing from him this entire season, or his production could be completely limited because somebody like Patrick Beverly is basically just throwing him off his game. Right. I think it's going to be interesting to see if he can really go in a full-blown stopper mode like that. I think John Moran has just been in a whole nother, like area code offensively as opposed to where he's been in seasons past. So I think it'll be interesting if Patrick is even able to give him that much of a struggle. I don't have really like an individual matchup that sticks out, but I say that only because I'm just interested to see who does Desmond Bain guard and who does Dylan Brooks guard? Like, that's kind of like the intriguing part of it because I think whoever the odd man out is on the wing left over is who Jaw will guard, and I think that'll be an important matchup on its own because how the how um, Minnesota, excuse me, attacks Jaw Morant on the defensive end is going to probably be just as important, at least from my perspective, because of the kind of offensive load that sometimes Jaw Morant can take on. And if he's forced to have to commit on both ends, of course, that really zaps his energy on the offensive end, forcing guys like Desmond Bain, like Dylan Brooks, like Jaron Jackson, um, like others, even Zaire Williams, for example, who's been playing a lot more often this season 
is going to force other guys to have to step into roles offensively that although, yes, they are capable of showing off, they're, what, 18-2 and two or something like that this season without John Moran on the floor. But in a playoff atmosphere, obviously the weight of that changes significantly. So I'm interested to see who those other two guys are guarding because that's going to put a real big emphasis on who John Morant is stuck with on the defensive end on any given possession. Um, but with all that being said, uh, Jackson, I'm going to go to you first. Who do you have advancing? If you want to pick in how many games, that's cool. And uh, give a little bit of a why. Yeah, so I'm going to pick the upset here in this series. I'm going to go Timberwolves in seven. I think this is going to be okay. a close series. I am banking on the fact that Carl Anthony Towns is going to have at least – he's going to at least match his production from the r- regular season. Um, maybe on slightly worse efficiency, but if he can just match that efficiency, I think we can see Anthony Edwards or D'Angelo Russell. At least I'm confident enough in one of those two players to step up, have a big series, um, maybe take advantage of that matchup that you were talking about and um, prevail. I think that their their depth is a bit of a question, um, especially when you look at a team like Memphis, who they're facing, um, who's definitely more stronger from a depth standpoint. But I think that um, their top-heavy nature, the fact that they have three creators that they can rely on, I think is very important, especially come playoff time. And the fact that they're very improved defensively, they're finally healthy, I think that all these are contributing factors to this. And I think that um, Memphis is just one year away, and I, I just can't get over the fact that they just don't have that secondary creator i think this um i think this score by committee type of thing especially when jaw is not on the floor even when jaw is on the floor you still need that second score i think is gonna um kind of hurt them at points in this series especially so ryan like i said at the top of this discussion we both were really hype about minnesota maybe hype isn't the right word but we were a lot higher on minnesota than most entering the season now we have Jackson on the pod saying that he's got them pulling off the upset early. Are we, we going to follow suit or has Memphis showed us enough this season to the point that we think they'll at least be able to advance past this first round? For Memphis, I think it's one more season. I'm going with Minnesota on this one. I think the one thing, like I mentioned okay. earlier with Anthony Edwards, I asked the question, is the moment too big? I don't think it is because he has shown that he can show that he can step up. D'Angelo Russell, I think, is going to be somebody that can step up for this team. I, if he can have the same type of game that he had while Carl Anthony Towns was in foul trouble that he did against the Clippers, this is a different Minnesota team that can hurt you in so many different ways. And D'Angelo Russell's scoring ability, I think they that can help them go over to the next level. I think the other thing too. Carl Anthony Towns has to have a big series. If Carl Anthony Towns can shoot the ball efficiently from three, I don't know if Memphis is going to be able to stop that. And I think he's going to get a lot of open looks, especially if he goes out in the mid-range and the perimeter. I'm not sure how effective he'll be in the paint, but I think Minnesota as a three-point shooting team overall, I would have to favor them over the Grizzlies. And I think that could be another X factor that carries them over the top um, to a series win. 
I think it's so interesting that you guys both go with Minnesota just out of the fact that if you contrast them with Utah last season, one of the biggest things Jackson kept talking about was the fact that they have multiple shot creators and multiple guys who can create their own offense when need be, especially late game and uh, scenarios where they have to close the deal. And if you talk about Utah, they were in a situation last season, right, where you have a guy like Donovan Mitchell who could, of course, take over at any moment. But they had other guys, too. Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench who could create his own offense. They had guys like uh, like Bo- uh, Bojan who was able to kind of put up a 20-piece when asked of. And, of course, they had that defensive anchor um, in Rudy Gobert, which in certain playoff scenarios doesn't work very well. But in that that series specifically, that ended up playing to a strength of Utah's and ended up working out really well. I'm going to be the anti on the podcast. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm also very, very pro-Memphis and have been pro-Memphis for the last couple of seasons, basically since John Morant touched down. And I think that things are just a little bit different this season. I think that this team has cut their teeth a little bit different with the fact that they've experienced life pretty significantly throughout the regular season without John Morant on the floor. So I think that although they do not have a defined secondary guy that can kind of carry things along, I think all of these guys have gotten a piece of the pie to the point that now with all the chips in the middle of the table in this kind of scenario, I think that I trust them more along with their depth to succeed on the floor in any given game. The other thing is too, We keep saying if, or we keep saying that Carl Anthony Towns should be able to recreate his offensive production from the regular season. And if he's able to do that, then this should be a series that they should be able to win it. I mean, granted, Jackson had him in seven. So, of course, it's not like they're going to dominate them or anything. But I still think there's so many questions about whether or not Carl Anthony Towns is truly ready himself to be able to lead a team past the first round. While John Morant, granted, again, against Utah was not able to do so, I think the matchup against Utah was just not favorable. But in terms of John Morant's own individual play, I think he showed up in the biggest moments. I'm going to take Memphis. I got to agree with Jackson a little bit, though. I'm going to go in six games instead of seven, but I agree with the premise that it's going to be, I think it's going to be a long series. Two young teams, two tough squads. A whole lot to prove whether you have a lot of expectations or a little bit. And I think that's going to make things really interesting. Ryan, I didn't get the amount of games from you. I think you said that uh, you got Minnesota winning. But how what, how do you think this series is going to go? I agree with Jackson going with seven games. I think this will be a really competitive uh, series from start to finish. Okay. So now we're going to move over to a series that might be a little bit more interesting. We'll see. But we're going to talk about Golden State versus the Denver Nuggets. And so, Jackson, I'm going to come back to you. And we'll kind of start the same way we did with Memphis versus Minnesota in terms of a top storyline that you're keeping in, keeping your eye out on in this series between the Warriors and the Nuggets. Yeah, so I think the main storyline here is the Warriors' interior defense. I think that it's very interesting because the Warriors are very atypical as a elite defensive team because they have Draymond, who is really their um, anchor defensively. But he is not your prototypical rim protector, um, typical defensive anchor. And I think it's going to be interesting to see um, against a guy like Rudy Gobert, who has who has made strides offensively and is a great lob threat um, and has great hands and can catch it down low. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Warriors are able to do against a guy like that. Obviously, they have Looney, but even Looney isn't... Um, that big of an intimidating presence. Um, I'm pretty sure at he's only 
like six nine, and he's not um, that great of a presence in terms of a rim protector. So I think it's going to be interesting to see um, what the Warriors can do defensively, especially on the interior. Um, and I think that'll be a, um, a if they advance. I think that's going to be um, a good indicator of um, how future series are going to play out with them as well. Ryan, how about you, man? What's something that stands out in this series for you that uh, is a storyline that should be really focused on in terms of the uh, the potential outcome um, of the series? I would say the play of Bones Highland coming off the bench for Denver. I think he's had an incredible month of March. He's averaged 14.3 points per game coming off the bench in March, three 20-plus point game performances. I think the Nuggets are going to need his production coming off the bench, especially with how good Jordan Poole has been on the other side for Golden State. He might have to match that type of production. So I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm going to go with the play of Nikola Jokic as a solo act in this series. Obviously, this is one of those things where I think the battle between him and and Curry, if things go as they're supposed to, right, in terms of that, um, because Curry might even not be might not even be his optimal self with the whole injury situation as well. But I think the play of Nikola Jokic is going to be so huge because, especially from a doubter standpoint, right? And and Jackson, I don't know where you stand on this, and maybe we'll get your thoughts on this on the podcast. But like the MVP discussion has been like the budding joke of the league so so far this season because it seems like everybody except Jokic's name comes up, and when his name does come up, it seems like it's always in in passing or it comes up in conversation after he's made history in a way, right? After this uh, after this past week, there was the whole 2,000, 1,500 club that he basically invented on his own in terms of uh, season production, um, points, rebounds, and assists. So, like, there's those things in terms of Nikola Jokic validating himself. And I think this happened last year as well, where he earned the MVP, but it seemed like people weren't really on board with it. And it seems like this year people came in feeling even less optimistic about Nikola Jokic, despite the fact that I would argue he's actually had a better season than he did last year. So I think the individual play of Nikola Jokic is something like really like important to me to watch because although the postseason does not have influence on the MVP, I do think it does help in validating an MVP once they've been selected. So I'll take that opportunity to transfer it over to you. Like, what are your thoughts on Nikola Jokic's MVP case? And, like, where do you stand on the MVP in general? Yeah. Um, first of all, correction. I was getting ahead of myself when I was talking about Gobert. I meant Jokic. So that just makes the interior defense of the Warriors even more interesting um, in terms of that matchup. But in terms of Jokic, um, I think that he has um, grown a little underrated from just an overall standpoint. I think that. Um, however, I think that from a media standpoint, he has um, become slightly overrated. I don't know if you saw the um, initial returns um, for the MVP voting um, or um, just the reporting so far. And it seems like Jokic, even though I would say it's a typic, um, a pretty close race um, between Embiid, Jokic, and Giannis, um, and B, I mean, um, Jokic seems to, um, that he will win it pretty comfortably. My personal MVP for this year is, um, Giannis. Um, I made a post about this yesterday, just giving my awards. I think that voter fatigue is a real thing. Um, I understand that. And, um, but I just think that Giannis and his two-way ability, I think that 
Um, his offensive game is the best that it's looked um, since he came into the league. Um, he's improved every year. Um, in terms of that, I think he's just rounded out his game even more on that end. And I think defensively, he's still the same defensive player of the year. Um, he's one of the, if not the best connector in the NBA defensively. I think that just his insane two-way ability um, makes him the MVP. Um, again, uh, not the most impressive record, at least um, from the Bucks' standpoint, relative to their past seasons, but I think that injuries somewhat play a role into this. Um, they had a slow start to the year. Um, but I think from an individual standpoint, I have Giannis. Um, but again, I acknowledge that it's a very close race. Um, I think that um, if Giannis is 1A, I mean, Jokic is definitely 1B, um, and Embiid is not that far behind. So I think that um, it's a very close race, but I got Giannis this year. Okay. I think that's an interesting take as well, because I think Giannis is one of those, because of the voters' fatigue, I think is a guy who kind of gets discussed in passing as well. I think he's a guy who, for some people, is leading the pack. I think I was looking at the NBA key, uh, MVP ladder, and I think he was actually atop it the last time I checked it. But I think it kind of just depends on what kind of flavor of player you're interested in in terms of play style. So um, we'll obviously talk, obviously talk about Giannis when we get to the Eastern Conference portion. Um, but I'm going to take this chance to uh, go back to Ryan and talk about X-Factors. Who is an X-Factor or what is an X-Factor in this series that you're keeping an eye out on? Um, as two teams that I kind of would argue are like very polar opposite of each other in a way. Um, which could bode for some interesting matchups. I would have to say the X factor is Jordan Poole. And I know I mentioned earlier the play of Bones Highland, and he'll have to kind of match the production of Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole in the month of March has been incredible. 25.4 points per game, 4.9 assists, 3.9 rebounds in 19 games. I mean, he's 20, he scored 20 or more points in 17 consecutive games. I think... When you talk about a guy who can provide more production on a team that already has Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, that's huge. And I think that his play, much like um, the play of Bones Highland coming off the bench, I think that could give the Warriors the edge as well. Jackson, how about you? An X factor that stands out in this series? Yeah, I I think that Will Barton, um, another offensive um, perimeter creator, I think that he's going to be very influential in this series um, and how close this series is. I think that um, he's really the second um, creator for this team that everybody looks at with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. out. And I think that he's going to have to step up in a big way in this series um, in order to help Jokic out. Because we saw what happened last playoff run um, against the Suns, even though the Suns are a... Um, the Suns last year are probably as superior as a team to this Warriors team. They were just outmatched. Um, they didn't have enough weapons offensively to compete. So I think that Will Barton is really going to have to step up more in a series like this in order um, for the Nuggets to see it through. I think talking about Will is so important because he's a guy who I think is lost in the pecking order. And it's definitely a guy who I think is going to be really important as a ball handler for them. Um I think the other thing, too, when you talk about X-Factors for this series, I think it's just the overall play of the Warriors' primary core, right? One of the biggest things that stands out about this season is that their top three guys, Steph, Clay, 
Draymond barely have played together this season. And although we understand that they have a certain level of synergy with each other, that kind of conditioning on the court in terms of them being around each other, being able to reintegrate though, that that play style that pretty much took over the league is one of those things that although they kind of know it in their sleep, there's there's a difference between understanding it and executing it. And the play of Draymond Green this season has been underwhelming to like put it nicely, I feel like, in terms of his overall production. He's still a guy who on defense you respect. As an offensive player, he has taken a significant drop. So I think the play of those three guys together is going to be really important. But I think overall, the engagement from Draymond Green is going to tell us a lot about the Warriors' chances in this series because I think that without a guy like him playing at full tilt, the Warriors are – I mean, I mean, they're still a play a legitimate playoff team, but they don't strike fear as a legit title contender the way they do when, when Draymond Green is really – playing at the peak of his powers on both ends of the floor. I'm not saying he has to go to averaging 20 a game. He's never averaged 20 a game, but this is a guy who you just want to feel his presence offensively, even if it's from the case of uh, being a uh, a passer um, as well. Um, I don't know if this factors too much in. You guys have already kind of mentioned a little bit in terms of this, but like Jackson, I'll start with you. Is there an individual matchup that stands out to you in this series, or is it more just kind of the contrasting styles of these teams? I think that the contrasting styles is um, a big part of it, but um, and this matchup kind of has to go along with that. But um, when the Warriors go to their small ball look, which they will with Draymond at the center, um, what what will the Nuggets combat that with? Because it's interesting. Because obviously their best offensive player, um, one of the best offensive talents in the game, Jokic is do you sacrifice what you might be giving up defensively um, in order to um, have your full offensive potential out there? Because, again, I've, we've mentioned this before, but they're kind of shorthanded offensively without their um, two secondary creators. So I think that it's going to be interesting what they do. Um, again, Jokic would probably be guarding Draymond, who's not that big of an offensive threat, but he's a great connector. So it'll be interesting to see if they what they go because they also have Jeff Green um, and Jamichael Green um, to also combat that small ball lineup. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of divvy that up. Yeah, Michael Malone is definitely going to kind of have his his hands tied in terms of having to figure that out, or he's going to have a lot on his hands because kind of touching on something you mentioned beforehand, lineups that contain Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, and Clay Thompson in it pretty significant plus minus so far this season not in crazy amounts of minutes but that's one of those those, those one of trifectas that I think is probably one of the more productive uh groups on the floor it's not their depth lineup right it's not the, it's not that crazy but it's one of those that definitely can put up points in a hurry the other thing is too you talk about like the defensive capabilities for this uh this series from the Nuggets standpoint you know Jokic has improved as a defender statistically this season um, and this is one of those series that might not exploit that necessarily, whether because again, you said he's probably going to be on Draymond Green for a majority of the series. That sounds respectable in terms of the best potential matchup for him. But one does have to wonder whether or not the defensive metrics, the defensive improvements that we've seen from Nikola Jokic are real within a playoff setting. So that's going to be interesting to see, especially a team against a team like Golden State that can go small and combat with wings and stuff like that. 
Brian, how about you? Is there an individual matchup that stands out to you in this, or is it the something about the contrasting styles that really uh, is catching your eye? I kind of want to tweak the matchup that Jackson had. I'm going to say I'm going to go ahead and say Nikola Jokic against whoever they have as the interior defender for the Golden State Warriors primarily. It could be multiple players. I think it could be Draymond. It could be Kevon Looney. But I think the interesting thing is how Jokic will be able to go at the Warriors' interior defense. I think he's proven that he can do a lot of scoring in the paint, and he's been one of the best players in the league this season, putting up better numbers than his MVP season last year. I think this I think this is another matchup that can that can go one of two ways. One, Nikola Jokic goes in takeover mode, or the Golden State Warriors throw enough people at Nikola Jokic that he ultimately is not playing the best games in the series that he's been playing throughout the entire season. So I think this matchup could be interesting. Just for some further context about Nikola Jokic specifically, because of course that's going to be the guy that gets all the shine in terms of a series like this as the shiny toy that has to be watched. Nikola Jokic this season against Golden State in four games is averaging 28 points, 15.8 rebounds, 8.8 assists. The dude is shooting 94% from the free throw line, under 30% from three-point land on seven attempts. That's something that is worth point paying attention to. Jokic is not like the most elite three-point shooter, but this is one of the teams, if you look amongst some of the other teams he's faced off against, Golden State is one of those teams he has struggled a bit more against from three-point land. Granted, there's also not too many teams that they face four times, so the sample size is a little skewed um, against them. And he's also shooting 51%, just uh, about 52% from the floor against Golden State, too. So this, let's not get it twisted. Nikola Jokic has been going crazy against everybody all year long. But Golden State is definitely one of those interesting matchups where I think it can go uh, one of which way, depending on just like what type of time he's on. Um, so we'll conclude with this before we move into the next series and, for, and round out the Western Conference. Jackson, I'll start with you. Who do you have in advancing? How many games? And w- what's your reasoning? Yeah, I have the Warriors winning in six. I think that this is going to be um, another close series. I think it might even be closer than the game suggests. But I think the Warriors are going to eventually um, win out just because I think the Offensive weapons obviously um, heavily favor the Warriors. Um, they have, assuming Steph comes back um, in time for this series, they have um, one of the best point guards in NBA history, one of the best playmakers just from a um, gravitating standpoint in NBA history and just what he brings um, just by his mere presence. And I think you, if you combine that with the creators that they have, you talked to, we talked to, touched on Jordan Poole, who had a crazy march. And then Klay Thompson has finally found his stride as of late. Um, I think they're peaking at the right time. They ended the regular season without Curry very strong. And I think that um, that's going to be the difference. Um, I think that the fact that the Nuggets don't have um, their two secondary options as well, I think is going to prove to be their kryptonite again this year. Um, And yeah, I think that um, the Warriors are going to win this um, in six. Brian, how about you, man? You've been a little bit lower on Golden State this season, maybe more so because of the play of Stephen Curry. It was a guy who started out the season really hot, 
You were a little worried that after chasing the three-point record that things were getting a little wonky, and now we're in a situation where Golden State isn't a series that I would argue is favorable to them. But, of course, there's questions about Curry's health entering the uh, the postseason. Nikola Jokic has easily been one of the best players in the NBA all season. Um, do you think the bill comes due on Denver as a team that maybe has been playing above expectation? Or do you think that Denver is who they've been so far this year and might be able to pull out the upset? So, Jalen, I would go with Denver if they had Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. And I think we kind of saw in the 2020 uh, bubble run that they went on how effective the Nuggets can be when those two players are healthy. With that being said, I'm going Golden State. I'm going to say it's a seven-game series. I don't think there's going to be a blowout, per se, in any of these games. But I think the Golden State Warriors just have way too many offensive weapons for Denver to be able to stop. I mean, you have Stephen Curry, who we think is going to be able to play in this series. But even without him, you have Jordan Poole, you have Klay Thompson, you have Andrew Wiggins. You have other guys who can take shots and also spread the floor, like Nemanja Bielica and Otto, and Otto Porter Jr., Gary Payton's even been a guy who can knock down threes. but And he he's, he's even been one of the main reasons why Golden State is the second best team in the NBA in terms of defensive rating. So I think that Golden State is going to be able to uh, win this series. Yeah, I'm going to make it three for three on this one in terms of picking Golden State. I think that Golden State just has more firepower right now. And I think the other thing is, that it just comes a point where in this environment, like, you know, getting over getting over other teams like the Clippers in advance and stuff like that, those kind of things I feel like are a little bit more viable. But when this Golden State team is like truly firing on all cylinders, this is a team that I don't think gets trounced by an undermanned squad like Denver and I think don't get me wrong I definitely believe that that Denver with Nikola Jokic is going to be a tough out I got them losing in six games but at the same time it just comes a point especially with this kind of environment it just comes a point where I think the bill does come due and I just think that Golden State's talent outweighs Denver significantly to the point that it's going to come in this first round matchup Let's go to the last Western Conference matchup being against the Dallas Mavericks versus Utah before we transfer to East to the East. And Dallas is coming in with some really interesting news talking about the fact that Luka Doncic is uh, pretty much indefinite in terms of his return and was caught walking around with a walking boot on. I'm pretty sure that'll lead for our storylines to a certain extent. But Ryan, I'm going to start with you this time. What is a, st- a top storyline that you're keeping your eye on? Uh, uh, keeping your eye on in this series is it the health status of Luka Doncic? Is there something else um, between these two teams that you're focusing on a little bit more? What stands out to you? I would say Luka, but I think you have to look at Dallas's defense as well. Is Dallas's defense going to be consistent going into the playoffs? They've had one of the top defensive ratings um, since March first. It's actually. is the Mavericks defensive rating. And this was a team that struggled early on in the season playing great defense. They were actually one of the worst teams earlier on in the season. And then Luka ends up getting hurt, and then Dallas climbs up to be one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. So I'm interested to to see the consistency 
of Dallas's defense going into the playoffs. I think that Dallas is one of the strongest defensive teams right now in the NBA. So I think that's definitely something to watch out for. Jackson, how about you, man? What's something that stands out from a storyline's perspective in this series for you? Yeah, I think that the Luka injury is definitely the biggest thing because I'm going to say right off the bat, if Luka, if Luka doesn't play more than half of the games in this series, the, the Jazz are going to win. But I think mm-hmm. the other thing is if um, with the Jazz, is their chemistry issues as of late have been very concerning. Um, they've had pretty much all season, they've had blown leads, um, blunders, but especially as of late, um, they've had some weird things where Rudy Gobert's um, touches have been very inconsistent. Um, Donovan Mitchell has been um, questionable um, late in games and in the fourth quarter in general. Um, the way that touches are being divided up, especially between Mike Conley, um, Jordan Clarkson, um, Boyan, like who's, um, who's being, um, featured. It's been very inconsistent and very interesting for a team that is as, um, as a veteran group as them. And, um, I expect them to get it together come playoff time. And we've seen what Donovan Mitchell, um, can do in the playoffs. Um, but it's just very concerning to see their chemistry issues. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback on that a little bit, but tweak it by saying that I just think the future of Utah is at the front of their mind right now in a lot of ways. And I do think that's going to be really, I don't think it, it shouldn't have a significant influence on this series. You have seven games to be able to take down a team. At the end of the day, the better team should be able to win. But I do think there's a lot of forethought for this squad, right? A lot There's rumors um, going around that, for example, Quinn Snyder is not interested in the L.A. job anymore because of the way that the firing of, of Frank Vogel was handled. But he was a guy in conversation as a guy that potentially would be discussed for that job. He is also the same guy who was initially throughout the season discussed as a guy who might end up taking the Duke job after Coach K ends up stepping away. You talk about Donovan Mitchell-related rumors in terms of being a guy that is going to be highly coveted this offseason as a potential trade target. And a guy who, in a lot of different spaces, is rumored to be a guy who kind of is looking for the next place to be. There's also things discussed about Rudy Gobert. The touches thing is a great point, Jackson, because I actually recently saw a clip the other day where Donovan Mitchell like quite literally looked off Rudy Gobert in the paint as there was a mismatch taking place that like nine times out of ten, I would say, is typically a like an easy dunk slash layup for a guy like Rudy, even as a guy who doesn't have a huge offensive load on this team. And then of course the backdrop of the last couple of seasons, right? Having high expectations and faltering under, under them significantly. And that being something where you have to ask yourself, how many more times can this team run it back before they have to do something drastic? And unfortunately I do think this might be the season where something doesn't change something in the offseason is going to have to happen, and that can't be something that this team is just ignoring. So I think it's both a motivator, but it also could be something that could be um, a little concerning as well when you talk about what this could, what, what, how this could impact um, this team's production on the floor. Um, Ryan, I'll come back to you. Is there an X factor in this series that you're keeping an eye out on, um, whether it is storyline related or if it's just the play of an individual player that stands out to you. 
I'm going to stick with the the play of a of an individual, and that individual is Jalen Brunson. I think he has had Good an point. impactful year coming off the bench for um, the Dallas Mavericks. I think the one thing that will be really interesting is how he performs this postseason. You talk about the first year when Dallas made the playoffs in 2020, he wasn't around because he was injured. Last year, he did not have a great playoff series against the Clippers. I think this is going to be a year where Jalen Brunson can prove himself to the point where he can get a max extension. And I think that if he can get that, if, if he can perform the way he's been playing the entire season, expect an extension this offseason. Just so for context for everybody, a max extension for a guy like Jalen Brunson in terms of a, in terms of the kind of money he's looking at isn't as OD as like a guy like DeAndre Ayton, who we discussed a little bit earlier. But we are talking about a guy in a very underwhelming, so to speak, free agency market that we're going into this summer. Max level money slash significant four to five year kind of commitment from a team would be a significant step up for a guy like Jalen Brunson. And just to touch on Ryan's point about the play of Jalen last season in that postseason that he that uh, postseason against the Clippers that Ryan referenced eight points per game, one point four assists, two point six rebounds, um, forty five percent from two, forty six percent from three, but only on two attempts per game. 45.5% from the floor on just under seven attempts total. This is a guy who basically was a no-show in the postseason after being a guy who some were discussing as a potential six-man-of-the-year candidate for a good portion of the season. So you're talking about a guy who, when the lights got bright, really kind of faltered, and it really hurt a Dallas Mavericks team that desperately needed a secondary guy as a ball handler to help when Luka Doncic was kind of getting swarmed by the perimeter play of the Clippers. I'm going to skip the individual matchup uh, point for this one um, just because I think that there's a lot of different things that could go on in the Western Conference, but this is one of those series where I think just we have to identify whether or not the, the defensive capabilities of Dallas is real, and I think we already understand that the, the, the limitations of Utah's defense are going to be a glaring point regardless of who they were to see in this series. So I think that contrasting style of like, is this defense real versus is this defense ever going to get itself together? It's just going to be a constant bouncing back and forth point for a series like this. So Jackson, I'm going to go to you with this. Who do you have advancing in this series and why? Yeah, I have, um, I think in this kind of series, I think the Jazz are going to win. I alluded to the fact that if Luka doesn't play more than half the games in this series, that the Jazz, I feel like they're just kind of an auto bid to move on. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not looking good, um, per se, with a lot of the Luka news that I've heard um, personally. So I'm going to have the Jazz, but I'm going to take the Jazz in six. Um, the Jet Taking the Jazz in six um, is kind of contingent on Luka not playing the series. Um and then it's it's just tough with a series like this, especially when you have an injury to a main player. If Luca plays one or two games, I'd probably still take the Jazz in seven. I think they'd be able to um, gain enough of an advantage early on um, to be able to grind out two games, um, even if the um, Mavericks get Luca back. Um, and I think that you know a lot of this is um, based on if Donovan Mitchell 
um, can continue his um, playoff dominance that we've seen over the past two years from him. And basically, if they can just um, get their stuff together, I mean, I think that Gobert um, is a very interesting um, player to talk about, especially when it comes to the playoffs always. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that for the most part, I am of the mindset that um, he is underrated as in terms of his versatility. Obviously, he is not anywhere near um, some of the switchable bigs that we talk about, like Draymond Green, like Jaron Jackson Jr. But I feel like his um, perimeter defense um, isn't talked about enough. I feel like people just bring up the clips of him getting um, spun around by Devin Booker (laughs) and um, Terrence Mann um, scoring buckets on him and just um, looking at that. But I think that from an overall standpoint, he's not as bad as um, people make it out to be. And I think that um, that's going to be an interesting thing to look at um, as well. But just if they can figure it out in this series, because if Luka doesn't play, this will be pretty much not to discount their defense and Dinwiddie and Brunson, but this will pretty much be a tune-up, I feel like, if Luka doesn't play. <laughs> I feel like that's a respectable point and something to just kind of build upon that. I'm going to read it, read a report from ESPN real quick um, and kind of bear with me. I'm not going to read the whole dang thing, but I'm going to read enough of it to give context to just what we're looking at. So an MRI, an MRI on Monday confirmed that Maverick superstar Luka Doncic suffered a left calf strain in the regular season finale. The team announced no timetable has been set for Doncic's recovery, but the Mavs have not ruled him out for Saturday afternoon's game one against against the Utah Jazz. If he's able to go out and put on his shoes, then he's going to go. Uh, Coach Jason Kidd said after Tuesday's practice when du- when Doncic received tra- treatment. If he can't. We're not going to put him in a situation to jeopardize it and make things worse. Spencer Dinwiddie will start if Doncic is not available. Dinwiddie has averaged 15.8 points and 3.9 assists in 23 games for the Mavs, primarily serving as a six-man since being acquired as part of the Kristaps Porzingis trade in the deadline deal with the Washington Wizards. So with that being the case, that is one of those things that has to be factored in significantly is the fact that you're taking a step away from a guy like Luka Doncic, who we can argue is an all-world offensive talent, to a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, who is definitely great at being able to st- keep the ship afloat, but not necessarily a guy that I think Mavs fans will be super excited about seeing his usage up in terms of having this kind of uh, weight on his shoulders, not only just from an offensive low, but from the expectation of trying to win a seven-game series. With all that being taken into consideration, uh, Ryan, I'll pass it to you. Who do you have coming out of this series? Okay, so this is tough because I, I heard about the Luka news and there's no uh, timetable for his return, which gives me cause to pause that the Dallas Mavericks will win the first game of this series. I think if Luka is good to go, I think Dallas wins in five games. And I think Utah takes the first game because I think they're I think Dallas will probably sit Luka. But the next four games, I'm confident that with the offensive scheme that they're currently running with the small ball lineup, Dallas wins the next four games. And the interesting thing that um, I, I think Jackson might have pointed this out already, Utah is not good at playing small ball. They play better when they have when they have a center on the floor in uh, Rudy Gobert. And I think Rudy Gobert is going to get a lot of minutes in this series. I think I could honestly see him playing over 38 minutes per game in this series. But honestly, I think 
Dallas with the the level that Luca has been playing on this season and the play of Spencer Dinwiddie that has allowed Dallas to excel at the small ball at the small ball lineup. I think Dallas has the potential to win this in five games. Interesting. That is definitely taking a, a full spin away. And that's also putting a ton of faith, I would say, in a guy like Luka Doncic to come off of injury and pretty much come out swinging. But I don't think it's beneath him to be able to have such a feat. I got to go with Jackson in this one in terms of going with Utah. And I hate to bet against Dallas with the fact that they do have a guy like Luka. But with his uncertainty, I understand the idea that if he'll play, if he is capable of playing, he will play. But that is not always a net positive. Yes, having an all-star player on the floor as opposed to off is definitely um, a step in the right direction. But it's hard to say that Luka would be detrimental playing injured, but I don't necessarily know how much of a positive impact that will bring as well. And they just do not have the kind of offensive creation around him to where if he is off his game, somebody is going to be able to really uplift him in a seven-game series. I think Spencer Dinwiddie has the chance to be able to do it for maybe a game, maybe two, but I don't know if he could do it enough to be able to help lift him to winning four games in a seven-game series, as opposed to Utah, who I think they just have a lot more pressure on their back. They're entering, entering this series with a lot more expectation. And I think the fact that Dallas is entering this series with Luka Doncic as questionable at the moment kind of only puts further pressure on Utah to get the job done. So I'm going to take Utah to get it done in about six games. I think they take advantage of the fact that Luka Doncic is, is injured. And honestly, they could do it in four or five if they pounce on the opportunity. But I think that'll also have a lot to do with just how long Luka will be out. 